this time, dear fellow designer and follower of IXE Stories, we are traveling in another part of Switzerland. Then, for the one who doesn't know, we have three official languages. German, Italian and French. This year, the conference Interaction 23 is taking place in Zurich. We take this occasion to present you some Swiss designers. Today, we start the story in Geneva with Nicola Nova, a professor at Ed, the Geneva University of Art and Design. A day in the life of a doctor's smartphone, a 15-minute session is going to present at Interaction 23. Hi, dear Nicola Nova. You are with us today, so we can discover more about you and your activities. And I give you the word. Hello, everyone. So my name is uh, Nicola. I'm, uh, I'm basically an anthropologist interested in technology, and I work at the Geneva University of Art and Design, and as the near future laboratory. And I'm, yeah, looking forward to chat about my work. Could you? Tell us a bit more about how you did start your career and what are your main activities today as professor by the Aid Geneva? Well, I started my career long, long time ago by being interested in actually video games. And uh, before user experience exists, I, I was interested in players' experience and understanding how people playing video games would appropriate video game controllers and consoles. And that's I did. Uh, I did work for quite some time in this in this field, doing my uh, master's program in human-computer interaction. And then slowly, eventually, I did a PhD in human-computer interaction. And I always wanted to keep one foot in consulting work with companies. And that's how I started, like working on understanding like the ethnography of digital technology and doing both consulting work and being uh, asked by design schools to, to teach in Paris, in Pasadena, and then in Geneva. And then, actually, what do you do in the interaction design field? And what is the correlation between your field of research technology usage and the future of technologies? I'm, I'm basically, in the context of interaction design, I'm not, I would not define myself as an interaction designer. I'm more... Uh, interested in understanding how people use technologies, the problems they encounter, the sort of imaginary they have about technology and how understanding this could be helpful to help designers, engineers, developers innovate and create meaningful applications and products. So my, my role is more like supporting uh, people who design stuff with interesting insights about people. Is there any other topics that you are teaching at the Edge Geneva that we didn't hear previously? Well, I, I teach like different topics. One is uh, observation and ethnography, teaching methods to designers about what it means to observe people and use that kind of insight in the context of interaction design. I also teach uh, the anthropology of digital culture. Uh, I'm interested in this class in uh, helping students to, to understand how digital technologies have changed the way we live, the way we work, the way we experience the, the world. And last one, last, last topic um, I teach is about design fiction, uh, the use of design methods to think about the future and creating uh, prototypes of the future to help discuss the possibilities of the future. Thank you so much, Nicola. 
Um, you did publish a book, Dr. Smartphone, an ethnography of mobile phone repair shops. How did you come to this name, Dr. Smartphone? And what is it? Basically, the, the talk uh, called A Day in the Life of Dr. Smartphone emerged out of a, a research project I did with a colleague and his blog in the last few years uh, uh, about smartphone repair shops and smartphone repair cultures. And we were interested in the way uh, this object that became so prominent, the smartphone, was repaired, maintained uh, when it had breakdown and, and problems. And one of the shops we, we, we visited was called Dr. Smartphone. And as most of those shops had some kind of medical or pharmaceutical metaphor, we thought it would be nice to, to use that, that term Dr. Smartphone as a way to encapsulate what we wanted to, to address with this ethnography of repair of technology. Anyway, it was a good idea. Then this is a name that someone can recall very easily. So for us to imagine, how did you land in the repair coffees, space, and independent repair shops? Yeah, it's true that uh, it, it might be a bit odd to think about like repair cafes or independent repair shops as a place interesting for interaction design. But to, to, to me, I mean, I was, um, I mean, I, I, I've been working on the ethnography of smartphone for quite a long time. My PhD research in anthropology was about comparing how people in Geneva, in Los Angeles and Tokyo use their smartphone. And one of the topics that I, I, I noticed was the way people had to find ways to maintain this object when it stops working, when, it's, when the screen breaks, etc., etc. And I realized following people during their day with their smartphone, I realized the importance of places that could help people repair their devices. And I, I spent more and more time in those places and realized that it would, be, it would be an interesting research topic and got some funding and hired a research uh, assistant to work on it. And voila, that's, that's how we ended up working on, on this topic. And, and the point of being interested in repairing phone is, is it's a way for, I mean, anthropologists like me to understand how people try to master domesticate those devices and how to uh, make them last a bit longer which is which is quite important because we have we do have some kind of environmental crisis and we need to consider the durability or the non-durability and the obsolescence of objects i totally agree with you when we see how many mobile devices are landing in the garbage uh, this is not the solution absolutely So you did point me out that there is a big and important difference between domesticating and using. Mm. You briefly mentioned it just before. Could you extend it? Well, using a device is about trying to understand what happens in everyday life when people try to I mean, use certain features of the device like a, a smartphone. Domestication, it's a notion that comes from the natural sciences. It means something which is a, a bit more elaborate than using. It means that people master the, the, the behavior of the, of the device they have, which means that they, one, one can use a device without domesticating it. You have like people who try to use their phone in a certain way and it works somehow, but not perfectly. Domesticating it is a way to understand what you really have to do and 
in order to anticipate what the device will, will do. And of course, inter us, like in the context of interaction design, we might be, we know we are kind of experts about those things, but I'm interested in laymen and, and laywomen. I mean, people who are not really like experts of technologies. And I, I, and I saw on the field doing interviews with people that there's a big difference between using WhatsApp, using uh, uh, Instagram or using your email and managing to do really what you want to do with the, the phone. And that's pr probably the most important difference between domestication, which is about trying to anticipate the success of the action, the action you want to do with regards to using, which could be problematic. You told me you find iOS not that intuitive. Why and what brought you to this conclusion? Well, I mean, it's not that I want to attack uh, Apple. It's just that I spend time with with people trying to understand how they use the smartphones and how they spend time in, 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 in smartphone repair shops and try to get some insights about Uh, what works, what doesn't work, and what could be fixed with a device. And uh, it's funny because iOS is quite intuitive to me and to a lot of people I know, but for other people who are not used to digital technologies, who do not even know what cutting and pasting is about, do not understand necessarily what it means to, I mean, use certain features of the device, it's it's a problem. And, and here, I mean, it, it, it may sound a bit pessimistic, but we... As, as people, as researchers in interaction design, we tend to forget that for a lot of people, the way digital features and software is, has, been, has been designed, it's not necessarily uh, obvious for, for people who may come from different backgrounds, who may come from a different kind of mental model about technology. And that's something we need to uh, reconsider. In this case, we see all the time new advertising for new mobile. It's catchy and we want to have it. Then we buy it and we realize there are new things. We need to learn this first. So what can be done to improve this? And maybe can you give us two concrete examples? Well, in order to improve this, there might be, I mean, one of the most important thing is to start considering people and their the way they try to understand technology and try to understand the way they... I mean, they may have like problems interacting with basic things. I remember, for instance, uh, in a in a research context, I, I did an interview with uh, a user using the the iPhone, and the person was somehow flabbergasted by the fact that there were two different keypads with the the, the numbers on the phone. You have the one for uh, when you want to phone people, you type the numbers, which is different than the one you use with the the pocket calculator, and and that's something that is. I mean, there are obvious reasons for this because, I mean, it's different cultural uh, uh, design, the calculator and the, the keypad for communication. But for a user, the person was somehow lost and had, and had problem with that. And of course, I could frame myself as, okay, well, this is not a big deal. It's not so common. But as a person really interested in observing how people deal with technology, it was, it was important to me to, to see that they these little things like that could be could be fixed, like having some kind of standard, which is like what we generally do in interaction design is not the case, for instance, on the on the iPhone. So that's one uh, one example. A second example that I think would be would be relevant is to consider that the, the, the smartphone is an object that generally lasts one, two, three years with, with people. And, that, and that's really a, a problem. And that's 
people build some kind of representation of how it works, how it is, certain features, and as soon as they get a new one, even though it's an, the same operating system, they might feel a bit uncomfortable because some parameters have changed. So I don't necessarily mean here that things should be super static, but there should be an understanding of what it means to transition from one object to the next. And think also about the business model that could be way more uh, uh, durable than what we have nowadays. Oh, thank you, Nicolas, so much for this advice. I hope people working on mobile devices will also hear those. Mm, you're also working on the future of technologies. And here, some people would like to ask you, What should we do to move forward concretely? Well, in my, in my own opinion, one way to, to think about the future of technology, to stop thinking about things like computing powers or adding new features without thinking about the usage of, of, those, of those technologies. And it's more about making objects more durable, less obsolescent, and more... I mean, relevant in the long in the long term. If you think about objects that we had in the past, there were ways to design those objects so that it have the value increase over time because there's some patina, because there's a visual character, certain aesthetic. And with digital technologies, it's the opposite. It feels like after one or two years, the object lo loses value. And loses its value. So that's one thing to, to me is important to find ways to add more values about hardware and software in the future. And one way to do that will probably help us think about how to recycle and reconsider existing technologies so that they could uh, have more, I mean, build an aesthetic that can last longer uh, over time. Think about recyc recycling uh, other parts from object, could be software, could be data, could be hardware. Of course, this is very abstract to some extent, but this is what we have done in the last century. So why not doing that with, with digital technologies? If I may add, I notice it has not been built with the intention of being recycled that it offers its build of components that you can take apart. We as designers can all for sure make an effort to create an object which has reusable parts, or at least some of these could land in the organic garbage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely about that. I mean, of course, that's uh, that's uh, tricky because the business model about those things is is way different, but that's obviously what designers have to think about in the coming years to tackle the environmental crisis issues. And uh, you're not only specialized in this topic, but also, as we could hear already before, you specialize in ethnographic research. How did you arrive on this topic and why did you like it so much? Ethnography is, is, is about Like it's the method that anthropologists or sociologists use to uh, to employ to understand people, to understand culture, and I arrived to this by, as I said, by being interested in the way people interact with technologies, video game, video game interfaces, objects such as smartphone, and eventually. After a few years in this domain, I did a PhD in anthropology and sociology, uh, with a keen interest in trying to uh, build a representation about what's digital culture, what it means to use this object in, in, uh, in our everyday life. And I was attracted to that by simply 
the fact that I was interested in my curiosity in understanding how people use those things, but I also because I, I'm working in a context, a design context, art and design school and consultancy, and I thought that this understanding could be helpful to do my job and to help consider the future of those technologies. As a member of IXE and myself being a product researcher, I do totally agree uh, with you. Ethnographic research is a very important step to understand the user needs. And we often do not have the opportunity to run um, them in every project. Um, that's why I come to this question. Uh, can you give an advice for a junior designer who wants to develop his skills? That's um, that's a, a, a common, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily easy, that's a common issue not to have this kind of opportunity to run them ethnographic research in every project. And my, I mean, my only advice here is to, to build some kind of curiosity and keen interest in observing people, even in the, without a, a, a project, even without like a client. And by doing that kind of, cultivating that kind of, um, that curiosity in the everyday life is a way to understand and know more about people and do your job as a designer better, which means that I think it's, uh, it's important to consider like observing, noticing the way people do gestures with technology, the way people try to build a certain discourse about what works, what doesn't work. So there are many occasions to do that in everyday life because obviously technology always breaks and there's always some kind of tiny problem. So as a junior designer, uh, to junior designers, I would tell them, yeah, do not hesitate to ask people about how they use their devices and applications and try to get some experience based on that and, and derive some knowledge about that in your everyday activities. And your opinion today in product development? Do we do enough research? I don't think we do enough uh, user research in, in, in this kind of context, but I, I understand also why, because projects have to go quickly, they have a certain amount of budget, it might be tricky to spend a bit more time doing, doing that. But I do think that in the long run, it's, it's problematic not to invest enough time in understanding people. It's funny because it, I've been working in this field, I mean, in the last 20 years, and it's already, it was already the same kind of discussion like back, back then. And, and, and the companies which are successful are necessarily the one who manage to, to spend some time on some kind of expertise about, about people. And, and it's, it's crazy to, to be in 2023 and say that uh, again one more time, but I do think we have to reiterate that. doesn't mean that we have to do like huge uh, user research for a few years, but I do think that any kind of design project should have a phase before the project about observation and also after like the few, the, the, the first iteration to like reiterate and, 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 and work on the prototypes by understanding how people appropriated them and notice some problems that could be uh, uh, circumvented. Here another question. This time, this is about the forecast in your favorite topic, such as the environmental crisis, as well as the possibilities of recycling. So you see already certain trends that you could share with us? One of one of the trends that I find interesting is that there is a growing interest 
in uh, research and development uh, laboratories, public or private, in more durable objects, for instance, by trying to, to consider what it means to uh, create and, and, and design and develop technologies that could benefit from recycling spare parts or material and design modular kind of uh, object, could be a smartphone, could be a computer, that could be recombined and work together in the future. Of course, this is not necessarily what like big co companies are working on, but there's a growing interest in working with the limits of the, of the environment. There's a, a community of, of researchers called Computing Within Limits. Uh, it's a, world, uh, a worldwide community, and they're st interested in starting from issues regarding limits of energy, of materiality, or social justice, and use that as a starting point to redesign technological devices and infrastructures. So to probably to give an example that I find interesting is that there's um, a growing interest in web design that is uh, interested in not uh, working with financial budget, but working with an electrical budget. Like for instance, you say, I have this amount of watts that I can spend with solar energy, and I want my website to work with this amount of energy. So the starting point of the reflection here is not about like the financial investment, but more about the kind of electricity you can have because of solar panel and consider the aesthetic, the interaction design of this. So that's an example that is, I find quite, quite stimulating. And there are similar uh, uh, experiments with recycling of spare parts that, that could be, I mean, that are interesting to mention because it seems a bit far-fetched at first, but there are examples of designers working on this. So first we started to make web pages more accessible. So you should actually, we must follow a certain standard to make these pages accessible for everyone. Mm. We created this standard. We started from the beginning, there was nothing. So I hope and I am waiting on the V3C, the World Wide Web Consortium, to establish as well a standard for low impact aka usage of electricity for web pages. That would be nice if something like this would come out very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Nicola, you like to write. You already achieved in 2022 to publish your first book, or rather a kind of notebook, as you call it, Exercice d'Observation, Observations Assignments. It's only available in French so far. So how to do these exercises, where to start, what you depict and motivate to do? Well, the, the, the book called the Exercice d'Observation, which means observation assignment, was just a way to turn my, I mean, the kind of assignments I do with students in design uh, schools into a book, a book that aims at helping people to cultivate this kind of curiosity, this kind of mindset about observing the world that I, that I mentioned before. And, and the idea is to, observation is it's a bit like a muscle. It's not something you can read about and do like uh, you don't read about how to ride a bike and voila you ride your bike it's something that you need to train with so my, my point was to give a series of assignments like little exercises that you spend some time with and the more you do them the more you start cultivating this kind of arts of noticing 
that could be really helpful for designers, developers, and frankly speaking, uh, by anyone. And and in order to do that, you don't need much. I mean, you need to have yeah, your senses, uh, like a, a pen and paper, and try to like listen, observe, look, touch. I mean, even if you may have like problems with your eyes, uh, your ears, like like me, you can you you can do it. And the point of doing this is to build some kind of like. Uh, expertise in observing things with multiple perspectives, such as trying to understand the object that people use, the gestures that people make, the sound ambience in a certain place. And as, of course, this could be a bit, feels a bit abstract and maybe poetic, but the more you train to observe those things, the more you can use that in the context of project to be, I mean, to cultivate that kind of understanding when you have to understand like what kind of problems a user interfaces are uh, have or the kind of issues uh, a user have with a certain piece of technology. So my point was to have, it's not a manual about user experience or ethnography, it's more like how to build a sort of experimental mindset about observing the world. So me, I'm very keen to get a copy of this one and try the assignment myself. The last but not the least, Your talk is based on the book published in collaboration with the Ed Geneva, Doctor Smartphones and Ethnography of Mobile Phone Repair Shops. Some words about the book. So the book is uh, it's, it's it's basically the Doctor Smartphone uh, project. It's a series of chapters, uh, 16 chapters, 16 portraits of smartphone repairers in Switzerland. And it's a project that I did with my colleague Anais Block. Uh, I wrote the text, she did the drawings because it's a mix of photos and comic uh, comic book illustration about the repair shops. And what we try to convey in this book is the diversity of interventions that the repairers have to, to do uh, in a country like Switzerland, how they build their expertise, how they build their knowledge and how they help people to domesticate their devices. And the book is, a, I mean, it's a Printed book, but the PDF is for free in the in the website. And I, I strongly encourage anyone interested in uh, the digital cultures to yeah look at the book and try to understand what it means to be a smartphone repair. Nicola, it was very interesting to exchange with you. We come at the end of this podcast. Do you have some last things to say to the public? And also, where can we contact you the best if someone has more questions or wants to collaborate with you? Well, one can easily find me on the web. I'm at Nicholas Nova on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So I guess that's you can find me. Or NicholasNova.net is the my website, even though these days we don't talk about website anymore. <laughs> that much that's all fine again and do not hesitate to give us some feedback on linkedin but also some likes and share this podcast on your networks as it is for the planet for the humans and for a better future so we count on you thank you so much bye Thanks.